All right. I mean, the first thing with Joe is that his his was the first person, uh, mm-hmm. or yeah, first person. So I don't know if if it was just me, and it's weird because well, what's weird is like I think I found him the hardest to relate to, mm-hmm. but I'm probably more like him than I am the other characters. What's that about? And I don't. What what was that? What's that about? Why is he the hardest one to relate to? I'm not sure. I, I I'm trying to dissect that now. I mean, like maybe. I mean, he, he's doing the best he can with the circumstances he's in, right? I was going to say maybe it's just because he's like uh, such a, he's, I don't know, he's at the bottom of the totem pole, but like, you know, I'm not in charge of anybody. I'm kind of at the bottom. Like, so it's not that it's, and it's not like he's making bad decisions. He's actually making awesome ones. You know, he, he is, is savvy enough to shuffle aside bunny to buy extra food. And uh, I also really, really loved like the way that he, you know, finds happiness in his shit life by like loving his animals mm-hmm. and giving them the best lives they can right up until they're, they're massacred. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but like he, he seems to draw genuine pleasure from it. Like, it's not like he's just doing it out of a sense of duty. Right. No, I think he really cared about him. Um, I thought he felt like the most agentic of all of them. I mean, I guess, I guess uh, what's his name? <laughs> Marcus. Marcus. Harris. But he, it's easy for him to be agentic because he has money and power. And I think Joe, for being like this no status guy, uh, really did shuffle things around to try to make his little corner of the world as good as he could make it. And like the few things that he did have control over, he used his power for good. And he did have kind of some longer term thinking, even though he was like, okay, I'm going to like cook the books to make sure that I can skim off the top and feed my friends and feed my animals. But I'll probably get caught eventually, but I can, I have a plan for that too. Um, I felt like he, he was actually the one who was sort of like, I don't know. I just, agentic just kept coming up. Everybody else was fighting fires. Uh, or at least Andreas really did not seem to be, he just seemed to be reacting and Joa seemed to be trying to, he was also just trying to survive, but he just felt like he was more in charge of his stuff. I don't know. I liked him. I I felt like he was the easiest one to relate to. No, that's awesome. I, I, I don't know where my disconnect was with him, but no, you're absolutely right. Like, I think there's probably something to be said for the fact that like, you know, other than I guess helping stop the end of the world or whatever, his, his decisions and his agency were more confined, like locally, like he didn't have as sweeping of an impact, Mm -hmm. but I think that actually, I think that made him more agentic. Cause like you said, it's, it's easy to have agency when you have money and power. Like Marcus was able to push the fate of Rome, right. With his wallet and his plans. Right. You just say like, make it so, and then send people out to do whatever. Exactly. But like Joe is the one, you know, he's, he's at the bottom of the totem pole. There's no one that can, uh, that he can order around to take a punch for him or whatever. Um, man, the two sided, the two sides of Titus. That guy. (laughs) That's that's the perfect noise for him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that fucking guy. Yeah. That guy, he was the monster the whole time when he was like, I need a monster. I'm like, well, there's one right there. Um, he, he, I thought he was interesting because I think he's the only character, Titus, who who really interacted with all three of them. Is that right? Uh, Marcus did. I mean, they they. I mean, Titus interacted with Marcus. Uh, he was like the boss of Andreas. I guess they didn't really interact, but he had to like report to him, and he you know he teamed up with them for the thing in the slums. Yeah, totally. And then and then Joa, and he he behaved differently in all three of those situations. And so he was like this weird, super influential shadow character who wasn't actually one of the three things that the story was about, but he still had a lot of, inf- a lot of influence on the story and a very yeah. satisfying ending. 
<laughs> exactly. No, I was going to say that too. No, but you, you are about the ending, but that's a really good point. Like he, he was the thread between all of them and he did present a different face to every one of them, mm-hmm. you know, to, to Marcus, he was like, Oh no, I'm the, the loyal supplicant, you know, and I'll, I, I follow orders and, Oh, I was good friends with your son or whatever. And, uh, with Andreas, he's, uh, coldly calculating, you know, badass mercenary. And then with Joa, he's this sociopathic, you know, rapist monster. Yeah. Yeah. Super bully is a good way to put it. He, remember it, I remember talking with, about this with Wes and he, he didn't quite recall. He crucified an orangutan or something, didn't he? He did. Okay, no. good. I knew that wasn't, I was hoping that wasn't just my imagination. No, I <laughs> don't know what to say, but my imagination. It was definitely a crucifixion. And yeah, he just came in and found one of his animals, like not just murdered, but like, yeah, tortured and displayed. That guy was a sicko. It also is, it is also interesting that every time I see something, um, it's a mark of, I guess, how we feel about Inyaj, but every time I see something noble and good and thoughtful, I'm like, oh, you can totally tell Inyaj wrote this. And then when I see like horrors and atrocities, it doesn't even cross my mind to say like, oh, Inyaj also wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got a good imagination. <laughs> he does. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder. Yeah, I, I'm curious. We'll have to pick his brain about where Titus came from. Um, and I mean, I kind of wonder who he really is underneath. But I think someone like Titus isn't really any of those people, you know. Or maybe he's all of them, right? He, he's in in every in every situation he was in with Andreas, Marcus, or Joa. He's doing really what serves him best and whatever he wants. Yeah, he has like, n- no one in mind but himself. Yeah. At least everyone else could uh, could make a case for saying, no, I'm trying to do the right thing here. But Titus was Titus for Titus. I remember trying to think like when, you know, we're working through the story of like, okay, this guy's clearly going to get his come up or hopefully this guy's going to get his comeuppance. Um, and I was trying to think of what form that would take. And it it would have been, I think, I don't know it would have been narratively satisfying for Joa to, you know, best him in a, in a duel or something, but like it would have been implausible enough to be ridiculous. I was like, maybe he'll get him with some clever trap or poison you know, him or he'll, something. Yeah. Poison him or antagonize him to the, you know, when he knows that uh, Marcus is on his way and when Marcus sees him crucifying an orangutan or something, he'll, he'll get fired and punished or whatever. But I loved his totally ignoble end. Yep. Absolutely. Great. It wasn't even a weapon. Nope. Brought it was down. awesome. By the lowest of the low in the stupidest way. So good. Yeah, it, it kind of, uh, I, I'm sure there's some heavy symbolism there too. Like, not that violence is the, is the solution to all of life's problems. That's not the, that's probably not the, the meaning <laughs> the moral there. Of the it's, story. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's that uh, there, there's an equalizer in, you know, the fact that everybody's, you know, in a, in we all share very similar mortal meat suits, mm. you know? And also and, that when you push someone far enough, like what, what people will do in desperation, you can only put your boots on their necks for so long before they really will fight back, you know, with deadly force. It's like cornering, cornering scared animals and uh, a scared animal can F you up even if you're bigger than it. <laughs> that actually works really well too with um, the, the mob against the Roman legions. You know, they were, they were being, you know, stretched too thin and, and, whatever told to go fuck themselves for too long that said all right fuck you right yeah. uh no i think that's um that's that's definitely a, a common chord there uh yeah i think um well i don't know how to say enosh would know uh ehud or 
Ehud or whatever his first boyfriend that he had. Oh yeah, in the village. Yes. Yeah, yeah that flashback that he had. I think I think a lot of a lot of uh, Joa's chapters were dreams, which was kind of cool. Um, which you know fits with the title. I think a lot of everybody's, but especially Joa's. It felt like every other one with him had a dream in it. Um, but it was like a dream slash flashback, and I guess it wasn't surprising when the guy shows up that he has to join in join in on the the stoning him to death. But it sure was. It was still shocking. Yeah. And and it still hurt. That that's what I really liked with Joa too. Is like every maybe it was the first person version of of narration, but like I also really felt his. Uh, you know, I, I think I felt everything for every character. Marcus hit me really hard. Just the way that it was painted so vividly, the way that he carried you know the the avatar of his dead son in him. Right. Um, that was so good. I mean, that was really the thing that made him at all uh, made me at all able to connect with him. Because all of his schemes and plans, I was so like, dude, this is clearly not the way. And I was so frustrated. But this, this, you know, undying um, love for his son, and the tragedy of it, and how, how, how obviously he really, really cared for him is, is was, uh, was his redemption for me. I think that must be this. I think that must be true for me, too. I mean, like his plotting and scheming was was merely fun. But it didn't make me like root for him or, or care about him. Right. It was it was his humanity that you saw there that yeah, I think that was the same thing for me with Marcus. But yeah, with Joa oh sorry, go ahead. Well I was gonna say he did obviously care about Rome. I mean it really did feel like he was like Rome is my city and my love and I and I want it to thrive and I don't want these people to to trample it with their hedonism. But he was just too blind to something to see I, I just wasn't I wasn't in line with his his methods <laughs> on on uh, solving that problem. Um, yeah. But the and, and there's nothing really in my life that parallels my like his love of Rome, you right. know. Like I, I, I guess I like my neighborhood, town, state, country, etc., planet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I guess yeah, if, if I if I zoom out to the entire planet, which is pretty much how Marcus thinks of Rome, I guess I could see myself. I could I could I I could identify with his whatever manic commitment to its well being. But that doesn't just that just doesn't resonate as on such a personal level as the the you know the loss of a loved one. Right. Um, so yeah, I uh, I don't know. Um, what was I going to say there? Uh, oh yeah, what was did I never got I guess a clear picture of what his what the deal was with that uh, Aurelius? Like did he was like that church employee, but like he was explicitly a prostitute that worked for the church or something, or yeah, the church kind of like look the other way with that and just say, oh yes, they're going to go meditate with Aurelius, but they all knew what was up. Yeah. And I, it wasn't clear, like, is he just one of many for all I know, they were, there were a whole passel of them back there. Um, I don't know, but yeah, it definitely seemed like the church knew what was going on. And, um, and it was also a little sad because he clearly was a paid escort. And the fact that Joa had sort of, you know, really loved him and, uh, there were a couple times I think when he said, I'd, like, he didn't even ask if Aurelius was his real name because he didn't want him to lie to him. Um, so he was, he was, he was in love. He knew it was a fantasy, um, but he wanted to keep that fantasy. And then at the end when he, you know, he was like, okay, I'm going to go, like, you could come with me. And, and he didn't even let him get the question out. And he was like, no, 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 just, we're just going to keep this where it is. And don't wish for, I don't remember what he said, like, don't wish for impossible things or just be happy. Let's just be happy with what we have or what we had. That was really sad, but it also was more agency that he, he was, you know, despite trying to feed his animals and they're all like eating cold fish heads for dinner 
was still saving enough money to afford to go visit this guy a couple times a month um, was interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to, maybe this is something I need to puzzle. Like, I mean, I, I totally get, you know, wanting companionship. I think, I think you hit it like with the fact that, you know, he knows it's a fantasy, but he's clinging, he's clings and he doesn't want to be disillusioned to that. So he, like you said, he never asks him his real name or asks him if Aurelius is his real name. Cause he, he wants to be able to cling to the idea like, nope, this is real. And even if he knows that's what he's doing, it's like, my life is, you know, my life's pretty shitty. If I can just, you know, have some plausible deniability that things are, are good uh, in this, in this one aspect, I'm going to just cling to that. I thought that was identifiable. I think um, so too. Do you remember that this would have been towards the end when his dreams are getting more and more nuts, but he has that whole sequence where he's, uh, he's with Aurelius and everything seems normal. And then he's like, Oh, I guess this is a dream. And he starts like to wake up and Aurelius like is panicking. Oh, yeah. And Aeneas has said that he has had a dream like that. That's what I remember too. Yeah. He told me once about a dream that he had like that with his brother and that that's awful. I've had messed up dreams too, but nothing quite like that. But I had to ask if you ever played a uh, legend of Zelda links awakening. I have not. Well, I, is it, is it a spoiler if the game is, 25 years old no i think uh, i think it's i think it's well it's fine with me i don't know who else is listening but <laughs> all right well spoilers for link's awakening uh that that's how that game that's the whole that's the whole end of that game is like as you're working through it it's like this weird fantasy land that he lands in and it's distinct from the rest of the series in that like there are people that look like mario there's a guy that looks like santa like everything's weird um and as he's working his way through the dungeons he finally finds like on one of the walls, or I guess you do as the player link does um, like an inscription that this whole Island is the dream of the wind fish, this, this entity that exists at the top of the mountain inside this egg or whatever. And uh, if you wake him, the dream ends. And then as you're getting further along, like when you start defeating bosses, cause they're the, like they're standing between you and the instruments need to wake the wind fish, the MacGuffins to finish the quest. Um, they're, they're, they're like pleading with you, like, please stop. We're all going oh. to die. And, like you feel it because there's a handful of characters like like in the main little town that like you like and uh, one that travels with you for a little while like and she expresses interests of like I wonder what life is like you know off this island and luckily you're not near any of them when you wake the wind fish and the game ends um, but it it was so reminiscent of that and I don't think Inyash played that game either mm. uh, but you know and I'm sure the idea you know like that the world is a dream that's 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 not original but that that exact like petrifying fear of like no wait please stop the world is ending you're going to kill me um that 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 was visceral and that was awesome um and of course devastating but uh you know awesome nonetheless really well written is what it was um the the reminded me i don't know if you ever saw the good place so it's called yeah the good place um, there's like a thing in there where you reboot Janet. And when you get close to this button, that she panics and freaks out and starts saying, no, 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 no. And then as soon as you back up like an inch, she, she immediately calms down. It reminds me of that. She's like, oh yeah, this is my reset button. No problem. But I am programmed that if you get near to try to reset it, I have to try, I have to try and convince you not to. And she like pulls out pictures like, please, I'm pregnant. They're yours. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's. It, they played that really well with Janet. I liked the, the and this is so the the chapter what was it forty uh, where it was Andreas, Joa, and Marcus. Oh, they're just all going back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, I loved 
that that whole scene was like this awesome payoff that I didn't know I wanted uh, or that I wasn't expecting. Uh, it's like it 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 set shivers down my spine. So you, you're, I think it starts with um, Andreas's point of view, and I think it was something like, you know, and the crazy thing is I can see it too. And then it switches to uh, um, Joa's perspective. And it was just so cool how it jumped back and forth. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't really lose sight of who, you know, where things were, what was happening. It, it was, it was clear. And I think maybe that was one of the cool things about using the different perspectives is that you didn't need like whatever section breaks to say I'm back on this character or something. No. And then Marcus said, and then Joa said, um, no, it was like the whole book was training you to be able to read this chapter. Yeah. And it was epic. I mean, and and they're like kind of coordinating. They don't understand the connection, but I guess they're God's chosen people. Yep. The three, the three men that God pays attention to. Yeah. Jeez. What a, like, it sounds, it sounds like that would be an appealing thing, but to, I, you read this and you're like, you realize you, nobody wants that much of God's focus. I think that can be- only end up being difficult. Yeah. Being a protagonist is rarely uh, an easy job, I think. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably a lot like having God's eyes on you. What's kind of fun is like, it makes sense why, like we get why explicitly what happened with Andreas that the gods are obsessed with him, right? Yes. Um, they're like, perfect. So this guy's guilty enough that we can get him to do the right thing when we tell him to, um, Marcus has enough influence that they don't even have to really push him that hard, I guess. But it's like, this guy has such a sweep over Rome and the world that, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him. But Joa is like the outlier there. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Why Why are the gods focusing on him? I, I think maybe it's related to what you said about him Him being so, I don't want to keep using the word agentic, but it's it's the right word. But his, uh, you know, everyone else is kind of just living their lives and, and he's living his, but he's, he's, and he's living it within the constraints of, of his circumstance, but he wants to, he, he's pushing at the barriers of it to find little alcoves of, of happiness and sanctuary right yeah and he's kind of like living his own little mini rebellion the whole time that's true yeah totally that makes sense there's not probably a lot of other people at the time who were doing that that successfully that might pull the god's focus yeah a lot of other nameless npcs get killed right Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know uh i guess i'm trying to think of i i wish you know the way that we did this with previous books was like we'd we'd read whatever the sections reading was I, and some like initially I had like this, this plan of doing, you know, one for every day of the story, you know, so I do seven episodes and reread them all. And then while they're all fresh, but it didn't quite shake out that way. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe I'll do a longer version at some point, but I'm trying to remember if anything else I wanted to cover with, with Joa or the whole story. I wanted, I wanted just to call out that last, it wasn't the last chapter, but it felt like it, the, yeah. it was, it was at the climax where it really you know, everything was, was settling was, down. Yeah. I didn't even, I for sure did not put the book down during that. It was, it was a page turner. It yeah, it, it was, was awesome. like a good payoff. Um, I'm trying to think of any other major beats with Joa that I didn't remember. Um, I mean, he he also had a relationship with uh, um, Edis, mm-hmm. but it was it was it was from a different you know angle than than Andreas is right. Like she was sort of a peer to him. Um, and it, what's weird is like I think Andreas kind of saw her as a peer too, but he absolutely wasn't. He's like, no, no, yeah, we're both, we're both, you know, beneath the lords and, you know, kind of servants. And she's like, yeah, but you get to go home. Yeah. Like, you know, there, there's, there's a huge difference. I think that maybe that's part of the reason she didn't like Andreas too. Was like, he, I think she 
well, he, he never quite grasped that her, his, her station was actually worse, right? Maybe? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I do think that's why she was annoyed with him at the beginning. Um, and also, I think, she, I think she saw him as partially on the team of the oppressors. So she was like, don't say you're one of us. You work for them. Right, totally. You're getting paid. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 maybe that's not a huge distinction. Um, I'm getting paid by not being killed. You're getting paid with money. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another uh, interesting wrinkle to my, I guess, relationship with this story was a year or a few years before it was published, Inyash wrote a short story that was like a really, really condensed version of this. Mm. And I mean, it's it's been ages since I read it, but I remembered... Like part of part of especially the beginning felt like some deja vu. Um, like I remembered the old man summoning the thing in the arena and stuff. Uh, like I'd read it before, but I knew I hadn't. Um, and so some of that stuff was already in there, and I can't remember how that short story ended. Maybe it had a bad ending. Maybe that's why I was so sure this one would too. Um, but no, I mean things things worked out. I think for everybody, I mean it's unclear what happens to Marcus exactly. Like he sees his wife get to him um, and presumably survives. I guess maybe he'll be emperor. I don't know. He de- um, he definitely killed the emperor or uh, Pal- Pontius Palace, whatever his rival did, right? And then they ended up he one the emperor was dead. The other Palace guy was dead. Um, yeah, he got he got to he got to kill Palace because he hated that guy the whole time, and then he was sure that he orchestrated the death of his son, even though it was I think either explicitly or almost definitely Titus. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely Titus, and and Andreas figured that out. That's right. Oh yeah, there was that whole subplot that didn't go anywhere, but uh, like it, it was not like it was whatever left hanging, but it was. I'm sure there's a word for this, and uh, I'm not an English major. There, <laughs> like uh, Marcus was having Andreas read everything, like read read all this correspondence that I have with my son uh, Quintus, and you know just over and over try to put it in your head as much as possible because he had asked the um, the wizard, "Hey, is there any way to bring my dead son back?" Mm-hmm. you know I'll, I'll do whatever it takes and the guy i think it was something along the lines of like sounds like a fun challenge uh we'll need a vessel that has has god's eyes on him already so like while he's embodying as much as he can of quintus that's when he puts together like no it was titus mm-hmm. but i don't think he ever gets a chance to convey that to uh marcus and, and by the end of andreas's story he could give less of a shit of explaining anything to anybody right that's right yeah he's done with the whole thing I don't know what, I don't know. Yeah, that did go a little loosely hanging. But So you get the impression that uh, Marcus is going to end up in power because everyone else who was challenging him is dead. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, we can look at it from here and say, well, Rome fell, so it didn't work out. But it's also, <laughs> but it's also historical fiction, so we don't know that. Um, it was just, I, I, I really felt like Marcus's ending was the the least satisfying weirdest i wasn't sure if i was happy that he survived or not um and, and it was ambiguous i don't know right maybe he bled out and she tried to drag him to the hospital and they didn't make it who knows but it was uh, yeah maybe maybe he just died having seen her for one last time or something yeah so it didn't really say um but compared to the other two i don't know i liked i really i liked how they all split off i still i would love to be able to ask Anyash what happened to Andreas. Um, but Joa, who just is like making plans, like that's it. I'm going to go find my people and I'm already making some plans. And that that is in actuality how you make things better. So I don't know. I was yeah. really happy with the end. 
<laughs> yeah, same. And and that's that's perfectly in character for him. Like that's what he's done his whole life, right? Uh, or you know, as long as we've known him, which is you know, he's looks at his, it looks at at his circumstances. Like, what do I have to do here? And then, uh, like, finds his priorities and says, "Okay, cool, I'm going to go do that." Um, oh yeah, and he made it like the edge of town earlier on, uh, freeing those wolf pups, which was just oh. again so perfectly him. So perfectly him. That was great. I guess I'm trying to think of which one I think had the happiest ending. And I think it's Joa, even though things change the least for him. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, I guess Andreas is free. He probably felt pretty light and happy. As he, that's true. You know, that but, probably felt pretty great. Yeah. I think he, I think he even describes it as, I, I think when he's flying off, like, you know, the gods are quiet and he felt at peace or something. But there's, there's a kind of, it's not, it's not. Well, I mean, stre- I mean, I'm trying to use the word stress, but stress has a negative connotation because it's actually a bad thing. But there's this, there's actually this burden with not knowing who you are, or what your place is, right? Trying to answer the question of like, who am I and what am I, sp- who am I supposed to be and what am I supposed to be doing? I mean, that's so what- all of us every day, I think, but yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, so that, that's why life's hard, but, yes. uh, or that, that's one of the reasons, but like Andreas, he, he didn't have that question because he was doing what the gods told him for years. And at the end, he 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 has no connections. He's got no home. He's just like he he gets to go. I guess what I'm saying is he has that he has the full weight of that burden. Mm-hmm. But Joe knows exactly who he is, mm-hmm. and so he he's not stuck with like the the I don't know. I, I, again, calling it a burden sounds like a bad thing. It's great that people get to pick who they want to be, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's yeah, like yeah. No, uh, choices yeah. are choices are costly, and they take resources to make and. Uh, yeah, when you're when you have clarity of purpose, uh, you get a lot of stuff done. Yeah, so he he gets to uh, just whatever pick up, not right where he left off because right where he left off got whatever sundered when the Earth split in half. But uh, like his, I don't know, he's going to go back to a better a, a better version of his old life, right? For sure, he could he could find those two and they could leave town. They could start an animal sanctuary they could run a circus they can like he he they will you get, i get the impression that they will figure it out yeah no i like that well i'm trying to think of any uh any other major beats to hit but nothing's coming to me which disappoints me because i'm sure when i listen to this i'm gonna be like oh man i meant to say these three things but same same thing um well, we can save it for when we talk with inyash okay That's unless okay. I'm, I'm more than happy to keep going if you have any other thoughts or anything you want to talk about no, I'm going to do the same thing. I think this was great. All right. Well, it'll, it'll be a warm up. We'll uh, we'll drill we'll drill uh, Enosh for answers. We won't let him get away with. Well, no, it's you know reader's interpretation. Like, no, fuck that man. Tell us what happened. <laughs> You're right here. Spill it. <laughs> did, did Marcus? Did Marcus die? Is, is Andreas okay? Does, does he learn you know Lovecraftian magic or not? Um, <laughs> sounds great. Um, well, thanks. I really appreciate this. Yeah, it was really fun. I appreciate you too. This was a good time. Cool. Well, uh, in that case, uh, I guess we can call it, and we'll uh, be back in a little bit with a conversation with Inyash. That sounds great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Steven.